1: Hello, and welcome to Smart Money Simplified with Brent Mikosh.
2: Brent, what's going on? Eric, I'm doing something that I've never done in any of our podcasts together. I'm actually sitting here and drinking a glass of wine. It is Friday afternoon, and I figured, you know what? It's, it's happy hour somewhere, right? So so let's, let's crack open a bottle of a nice white wine and, and have a good conversation today. How are you doing today?
1: I am doing fantastic. I do not have any wine. I did not know that there was that kind of party today.
2: So (laughs) It it is that kind of party because I have a really fantastic guest today. I've got Arden Montgomery with us, and she's a co-founder and head of marketing and sales for Argo. Argo is probably one of the great wine clubs that you can ever possibly see or participate in. Uh, She's a certified sommelier, and she's been the go-to person for both myself and my family. Whenever we want to go get great wine, get great wine with a story. And uh, we always know that, that she's got some great ideas and some great selections for
1: us. Oh, well, fantastic. I'm so glad you brought on the show today. Um, I'm going to sit back and learn a lot about wine, I think. I think so. I'm, I'm going to drink a little bit, which again, I right. haven't done that. So
2: Arden, this is, a, this is a new one for me because in the past, Eric and I, we've dealt with conversations. We've had ex-convicts here. We've had police officers. We've had people talking about Silk Road in China. We've talked about inflation. We've talked about a lot of key economic things, and this one's going to be a lot of fun. Today, we are going to be talking about wine, and uh, and as you know, we've known each other for for a while now that, that my family were definitely wine enthusiasts, and as I know your family is as well. So thank you so much. I know you're really busy, and I really appreciate you taking some time uh, out of your Friday afternoon to spend some time with, with Eric and I.
3: Thanks for having me, Brent. I know you strategically planned us for a Friday, right?
2: I absolutely did. Yes, I did. Because Friday, one of my favorite things to do is when I wrap (laughs) up the day, I go home, we go into our wine fridge, and invariably there's several bottles there that that, that, uh, your company has sent us. And uh, it's my way to chill out and, and enjoy the beginning of the weekend anyway.
3: What are you drinking?
2: I have. You sent this to me. as ai am gonna probably butcher I the I think I saw a Chablis.
3: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's
2: a Chablis. It is a Chablis. It's one of the ones that you sent. I guess a few weeks or so ago. And, yeah. Uh, Looking. It's it's delightful. It's very good.
3: good. <laughs> so, well, cheers. Happy to be here.
2: Absolutely. So let's talk wine. You know, like every industry, every industry is dynamic. And I guess I'll just start our conversation with what are some of the biggest changes that you have seen in the wine industry in the years now that you've been involved in it.
3: Yeah. That's, I mean, how much time do we have? I think, you know, I I'll start with answering that question and that we've been in business for almost eight years, which is kind of crazy. Eight years in February, we Margot and I, my co-founder laugh because we really feel like we haven't been in business that long. I mean, the first three years of the company are totally different in terms of the concept than what it is now. And we feel as though things really took off for us over the pandemic. So we were one of those businesses and concepts that gratefully, thankfully did very well because we sell wine and we ship nationwide. So um, as you probably participated in, that was a hobby that people did throughout quarantine and COVID was drink wine. So we've been able to see kind of those changes as a really considering ourselves still a startup, you know, in 2020 and even back in 2019 and just seeing all of the challenges that not just us in the wine industry, but the whole world has dealt with, with supply chain and climate change and all of that stuff. So I think, you know, the long and the short of it is it's been very, very challenging um, with rising prices, shorter supply, And specifically in the wine industry, it's difficult because you find a wine that you like, like you're drinking a Chablis right now or white Burgundy or whatever it might be, and you can't just replace that with something else. So even though those products might be, you know, in less supply or shorter supply and they're, you know, not getting to us as quickly as we need them, or we can't even access some of them. It's just an interesting concept because you just can't like find something else to replace Chablis or to re- re- replace Burgundy. You know,
2: that's a great point because you're right. All of these regions are so unique and what they deliver to the to the wine drinker is so unique. So so let's let's talk about supply chain issues. Uh, how obviously anyone that's had to get a house renovation or even build a house or buy an automobile, they've they have felt these supply chain issues firsthand. How has this impacted your business and the wine business around the world?
3: Yeah, we, you know, certainly felt uh, the impact pretty immediately. And like, we're still feeling that today and there's still problems that have yet to be resolved. And that goes across industries. Uh, And in our business specifically, we have the most prominent thing that's still lingering for us is really just the increase in transportation costs and then shipping and packaging and things like that i think of course it's been like i was just saying harder to access certain wines from certain regions but in an interesting way the way that our you know business concept has kind of evolved like focusing on those smaller production you know it's our job to uncover the hidden gems of the wine world and put those in front of consumers i actually feel like we'll look back and say you know, it was extremely challenging, but it made us better storytellers. And from like a marketing perspective, you know, we have to be able to, yes, source wine and give our consumers a variety of options when they're shopping on the website so that it's one that they're excited about and that they're going to enjoy. But it's also our jobs to like kind of hand sell the product. And it's been interesting to be like, yeah, it can be harder to access maybe some of these like larger production wines, but there is benefit to working with smaller producers in that they're a little bit more open to negotiating and to, you know, making things work and getting creative. And then we have a little bit more variety in that way to say, okay, we can't get this Sancerre that we got last year, but there's this lesser known region just South of Sancerre and this newer up you know, uh, up and coming producer that has the product available, and of course they're ready to to move it. You know, yeah. Uh, so it's kind of interesting just from that perspective, in that our angle has always been, you know, we're not providing the uh, well known brand names that you find in your grocery store. Our whole model and why people come to Argo is that they're trying to to discover something new. So they're almost expecting that changing, like ever rotating selection. And don't always expect to come back and find the exact same thing. Yeah.
2: So what areas do you think the supply chain issues are? Is there supply chain issues? Obviously, you mentioned cost of transportation, Mm -hmm. obviously a huge one. But is there also supply chain issues just because, you know, during the upheaval that we've had in the last couple of years, different producers, maybe they put did they put less acres under vine? Have they? Mm-hmm. Did they have a problem with with as many businesses here have had with with people, you know, workers and things like that, or is it is it really the distribution aspect that's been disrupted?
3: I mean, it's it's everything. It all trickles down, unfortunately, to the consumer. I mean, a, an example of just you know exactly what's kind of happening at least on the winery side. So like when when we're seeing those delays or price increases, it's because these wineries are having The most trouble sourcing things like capsules or paper stock for labels and really glass. I mean, glass is extremely difficult for anything being produced in Europe. So you're seeing both like a delay, maybe it's starting with, oh, they had a supplier that they've been working with for years and now they can't get the paper stock that they usually get. They have to now go source a new vendor. And then, you know, I I think that. I was like, I I was reading something earlier this morning and it made total sense to me where there's been like this timeline shift, I feel like for marketing and like product design. So thinking about like creating a wine label, right. Or like sourcing the materials that go into a bottle of wine when like you used to work with the design team or the creative team to develop a new product or packaging You could do it just just like hypothetically in a month with your your design team and then send it to the manufacturer and maybe it'd be delivered in like a couple weeks maybe three weeks and now it's at least like double or triple the time so like everyone's teams are just affected and like if you don't have those relationships in place with your suppliers like they're not helping you out you know and like they're trying to run their business it all just kind of trickles down So, yes, I mean, across from just even producing the bottles, labor in the vineyards, for sure, and then all the way to, you know, getting the wine actually to be delivered. We're feeling all of that.
2: Now, a lot of your relationships and, uh, you know, I see it, at least my wife follows you on our Instagram. You're into some pretty remarkable, beautiful places around the world, particularly over in Europe. How has all of the events over in Europe lately, have you heard anything about some of the energy disruptions, of course, what's happening with Russia, Ukraine? what is, has that had any impact at all in Italy and France and Spain and Germany and any of these other areas where you're sourcing wine?
3: Yeah. So we haven't really heard much aside from talking. I think the most impact that we've heard about from our producers and the wines that we import from are coming from Italy. And we have had some producers, you know, that say that they're actually taking in uh, refugees and stuff like that. But the attitude is generally, they're doing what they have to do. So,
2: okay. well, Let me ask you, as you mentioned earlier, that obviously COVID was a good time for your business because there were a lot more people at home. And let's be honest, a lot of people were drinking a little bit more wine. Was there a change in people's tastes or in the demographic of your client? Or, or what was sort of the biggest surprise that you got out of that in terms of the people that you were doing business with your consumer?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. and. I've been very intrigued by that. We've certainly been looking into, you know, our analytics and data to try to understand that consumer during that time because our customer base grew significantly over, you know, 2020 and into 2022 now and trying to learn about those consumers because it was, you know, vast and it was all over the board. And I think it just was like such a unique time that we struggle with like what to take away from that data. But in terms of, you know, the consumer trends, I guess people were looking for experience, you know, our blind tasting kit, which I know you recently enjoyed, I think uh, was our bestseller and it still is. So people were maybe, you know, less concerned about uh, drinking the most expensive wine, but were interested in a story you know, and like prefer to drink better wine or drinking better quality wine. And maybe I think like now is the post pandemic, like you saw a lot of wine consumption in 2020 and now it's trending towards this like quality, very health conscious. I get targeted and I don't know if, if anyone here does too, but like that low alcohol trend or even no alcohol trend is something that is very apparent for us like right now. It's just understanding like, the shift of all of this consumption during 2020, right? And then like this kind of total backlash of people reevaluating their wine consumption and and how they're consuming alcohol.
2: So give me an idea, how much did the low or no alcohol wine drinker, how much did that increase? Was that, was that a dramatic increase or is it just something you're starting to see?
3: You know, yeah, I, I'm not sure like specific data points on it. We just know that we are... Seen advertising and marketing towards it. And I'm specifically talking about all over for me, like my social media and Instagram. And we see that with even certain brands coming out with, you know, this is the new like zero proof beverage of choice. I saw a little bit, I feel like the beginning of this year or last year, even like bars that were opening up. I feel like it was the East Coast that were you know, for uh, non-alcohol like cocktails or mocktails and things like that. So I don't know where it's going to go, to be honest, Brent. And of course, I'm, I'm thinking like it's our job to educate the consumer and say, hey, nothing wrong with if you're choosing to not drink alcohol. But the reasoning behind it being, you know, for us, it's never been about drinking to get drunk or finding the highest alcohol wine or whatever it might be. We're trying to source the best wines that are good and good for you and that they do have lower amounts of additives or chemicals. They tend to be lower in alcohol because these producers are making them to be enjoyed with food and at the dinner table and as a social setting. And just that whole kind of motto about how does wine show up for you in your life? It's just kind of this like mindset shift. So for us, we just, we're never going to get behind that movement. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, one of the but it's interesting
3: the, to
1: see.
2: Yeah, you know, and one of the things um, that that I think is is remarkable about wine, and one of the reasons I like enjoying it is that you can have the same bottle of wine from the same producer from the same region, and a year later it's completely different. Uh, yeah. not and it's not alive. just yeah. not just the harvest, but the actual wine itself. It ages. It it, it changes over time. Um, and what you find is the same grape, whether it's a New World wine some, or it's grown over in Europe or something like that, can taste radically different. So let, let's talk about what what are some of the really exciting regions that are on the map right now? Because that's one of the things that I know that, that my family's always appreciated about you is you do go out and find those wines. You find the wines that we're not going to, to see when we go into our, you know, our local grocery store or, or wine store here. So are, is there any place that around the globe that you're really excited about?
3: Oh, yeah. I um, like you just said, I mean, we're we're excited and we're fortunate that we can get exposure to these wines directly. You know, we got our import license. Gosh, I think it was back in 2018. So, you know, that's a that's a value prop for us and that we are meeting with these families directly. We're going to know their story, tell their story. A uh, specific wine that is uh, very relevant for us right now that just arrived is from um, Ischia. So out of Italy, this wine is a Bianco Lella. I don't know, Brent, if you've heard of that grape variety
2: before. <laughs> I have not, no.
3: <laughs> but that's just one example of, you know, these areas and that's specifically in Italy. It's a volcanic island actually. And it's just kind of like, that wine just tastes like the waters of the sea right there. You know, it's like near the water, it's an indigenous grape. So I think when we're talking about like these lesser known regions, there's so much to be said for all of these grape varieties that you might have never heard of, you know, that don't really show up in the U.S. a lot. Like it's really hard. I had never had that wine before. And Lexi, our, um, Uh, One of our co-founders now, she manages all of the imports for the import side of the company. And she just happened to be there for her her honeymoon and tasted the wine and kind of was like, she was seeking it out because she had heard about it. And we luckily were able to bring it over now two years later, hashtag supply chain. (laughs) (laughs) But it's finally here. Um, So just kind of going off of that, I think specific regions, I mean, Italy, right? So like anywhere throughout Italy, there's all of these lesser known areas that are just, you know, outside of Tuscany, outside of even like the Piedmont area, like these regions that we're just familiar with for like the Barolo and the San Giovese and things like that. Italy is going to be forever. You- And an an entire lifetime, you could never explore everything that they have to offer. But I think also Spain, you know, I've been saying that not just recently, but still Spain is a great area to to discover a variety of wines at an amazing, affordable price point. And they have a little bit of something for everybody. I think one more region that I'll just touch on now would be South Africa, which I know... (laughs) I said that without, without actually thinking that I'm talking to you. Yes, (laughs) We, we can tell that
2: story for sure. But yes,
3: uh, South Africa, we have that project that we did with Chase Carhart of Carhart family wines called cargo. And actually we, you know, I would credit him to say that he's really shown us and educated our entire team on, you know, how much of an underrated wine region South Africa is. And, you know, how much potential there is coming out of there and just the culture and the people and those two wines, that Syrah and that Pinot are some of my, my favorites. Um, yeah. So lo- long in the short, there's just so much wine out there and, um, that's what excites us and what keeps us going is just being able to, you know, help our consumers discover those lesser known regions.
2: So the backstory to that South Africa comment is I've been down there a few times and I've got some friends in, in the wine industry down there. And uh, I'm always calling Arden and saying, can you get me this? Can you get me this? And it's usually <laughs> something that's kind of obscure from from South Africa. And she's, she's al- always al- been able to come through. So that, that's, been, that's been great. <laughs> now, another question. So you mentioned a lot of these producers. Um, is the wine world, and I don't know the answer to this, is it made up primarily of small mom and pop type operations, or is it becoming increasingly large and in corporate?
3: Um, you know, it's vast in this kind of mass produced commercial brands and, you know, I'm not sure how to answer that because I think about it from the consumer perspective, right? Like what they're exposed to and what they see. I think that they're again, kind of going back to what I, what, what I just said, but what motivates us is that there is, there is so much wine out there that's not getting imported. You know, so it's kind of like just thinking about it from the consumer of like, what do they see on the shelves? And you think about you think about how many cases those larger wineries have to be producing to be able to distribute and to supply to all these grocery stores and things like that. And I think just kind of a a data point there for perspective, you know, there's a winery. I won't name any names, <laughs> but a winery out of um, I think it's Northern California that produces, you know, a total amount of cases, that's greater than like the entire state of Oregon produces out of wow. all of their wineries. You know, like that to me is like, we are talking about two totally separate things, you know, mass yeah. produced commercial product versus an agricultural product, where like the majority of the wines that we're sourcing, that we're working with, we say that small production means like under 25,000 cases, but like the majority of the wines that we have are actually under like 10,000 cases you know yeah. <laughs> so just like that just puts things in perspective um so not really a direct answer to your question but it's just to me i mean am- i have just immediately thought of like as a us consumer like what what do they think about the wine world like it seems probably smaller to them because they're only exposed to so much you know
2: sure well, I remember back in, this is now in 2011, I was in the South Island of New Zealand. There's a small region there, the Otago Valley. Uh, they mm-hmm. do some phenomenal Pinot Noirs. And they were so good. And I'd asked these, a lot of these growers, I said, why, why can't I get this in the United States? And they're saying, because we have 15 acres under vine, <laughs> you know, yeah, and, there's exactly. no, and there's no way they can try to, it's not cost effective for them to get it here. Yeah. And then even if they can get it to the United States, now they've got to deal with 50 different states. So, like how difficult is it being in your business distributing across 50 states where every state has its own set of, of unique laws around your product?
3: Yeah, that's, I would say aside from, you know, how we started the conversation just with kind of every day being different with supply chain and just climate change and, you know, all that. And then just running a company. Right. Um, I would say that one of the hardest aspects of being in our industry and, If we're being candid, one of the things where I'm like, you know, how, where is like, there's all this gray area with compliance. And it certainly is like one of the most challenging aspects of running a wine business. I mean, we only are distributing like that product to restaurants and hotels and country clubs and things like that throughout California. But like I said, at the beginning, we are shipping our product nationwide. Um, to most states, there are some states that we can't ship to. Um, but it's it's challenging for a small business, you know, but I think that what we've learned, again, we we grew during the pandemic. We were exposed to a lot more states, a lot more new customers that we were like, are we investing in this state? And by investing, I mean, are we going to go through and try to get compliant there? It really just comes down to like looking at, the opportunity for us and like weighing the pros and cons of like, how much is it going to cost us to not only get compliant in a certain state, but then also have to report taxes in that state and what kind of personnel do we need? And like, is it worth it? Sure. And I say that like our top five States are pretty much, I think the top five States for most retailers are the same, you know, it's California, it's New York, it's Illinois, Florida, Texas. Um, right. So it's pretty standard.
2: Woody, you, in your business, and because again, it's it's a unique set of compliance guidelines you have to get around. Is there a state that is the absolute best to work with, and one that's that's more challenging?
3: I mean, I'd say for us, just you know, California, California yeah, because here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, the most challenging has been. I mean I just thought of Michigan because we we were able to ship there when we first launched and they recently changed some laws and regulations so we can't ship there anymore.
2: So that's interesting, you know, some of the different issues you have working state by state. Now, one of the things I've read quite a bit about and I've had, you know, clients and friends of mine that are, that are wine drinkers have sent me a number of stories as well talking about possible impacts of climate change on growing grapes and what that means for the future of the wine industry. Is that something that that is a is a real situation that people are dealing with moving forward and if and if it is how so how are they dealing with it
3: oh yeah and we're to your point we're i feel like i see a new article about specifically california and climate change um almost like weekly now um it's pretty it's interesting because you think about a place like california and you know they're producing premier red and white wines and they're really being hit with everything from this like excessive heat to drought. And I know that they had some, I think they were experiencing some deep freezes earlier this year. And so I don't, it's just kind of like a waiting game to see what happens. But I think that a lot of people are resorting to sustainability when it comes to that and just trying to problem solve and figure out like what they can do. I, I, I think what we see outside of California, you know, wines, I think about also a place like Burgundy and, and Chablis where Chablis is historically a very, very cold wine growing region. And just in the recent vintages, you've just started to see those wines change. And so it's kind of this question of like, a place like California, is it actually going to be, which it feels that way, like devastating to that region where like, can they continue versus a place like, burgundy or chablis where you're just starting to see like warmer growing seasons and the wines are changing so like devastation versus the chablis we knew a decade ago is just going to continue to change and it's going to be a totally different wine Um, in in, in
2: any warmer climate because i'm actually drinking a glass of chablis right now yeah (laughs) in, in in a warmer climate how how does that impact the taste
3: so take chablis for example just very um you know, I'll break it down, and and the easiest way to understand it would just be the quality or the condition of the fruit. So, I just think about I. I actually visited Chablis for the very first time back in 2016 with Margot, and I'll never forget. We were there during, I think, based on the winemaker's memory, it was the worst hailstorm they'd ever experienced in the past like 30 years. Okay, so like horrible weather the hail was so bad that, you know, you actually couldn't produce wine that year. And then, you know, it takes, you know, three to four years for those uh, vines to be able to to produce grapes again. But so that's the Chablis that I know that creates the wines that I love. (laughs) (laughs) Because like, it's this horrible, these horrible conditions, and the vine is struggling. And they're just have this like austere acidity. And it's just so you can't make a wine like that anywhere else. It's so specific and and you know to that region and as that area gets warmer you're losing more or less that that acidity so the acidity meaning like you take that sip and your mouth is watering it's like you're biting into a lemon you know versus biting into a lemon meringue pie sure (laughs) so it's like that condition of fruit just becomes more of that you know it goes from granny smith apple super tart super acidic to a red apple that's been sitting on the counter for two weeks (laughs) like it's just like that's how it's going to end up changing and so you know I as I'm just kind of talking out loud I do think it's just it's an interesting topic because it feels very like devastating to California where it's kind of like at what point can they even continue to produce like these premier red wines versus like the rate at which climate's changing over in France. And like, are we just going to have to get used to a different style of wine versus them actually not being able to produce wine?
2: Sure. Yeah. That, that is a big difference. Have you heard from, from your producers over in Europe? Cause obviously, you know, we're watching the news and you're seeing major river systems in, in Europe at historic lows, you know, World War mm-hmm. II, Vessels that have been underwater for decades now are, are, are coming out from under the water. Has how, what kind of season has it has it been in Europe? Are these kind of dry, hot conditions? is it serve them, or is it kind of really depends on where you are in the continent?
3: Yeah, I think it's it, it depends, and it's just been fluctuating. I haven't heard anything extremely negative um, this year. I feel like in the past couple of years, it's just been like hit after hit of whether it's that frost or that hail. Um, so I'll be curious to see, you know, what kind of news comes out as we continue to move forward with the 2022 harvest.
2: Sure. Now, one of the things um, that that I've also read as well is that what you're finding is there's a lot more northerly climates that suddenly now become pretty good growing regions. And I remember this is now back in 2014. Mm-hmm. I was um, outside of Vancouver and and I might butcher the pronunciation, but I think it was the Okanagan Valley in British Columbia. Okay. And, shockingly amazingly great wines. And again, we don't get them here in the United States generally because it's just, they're not very big producers, but my understanding was at the time, it was the most northerly wine region Mm. in the world. Are there more regions like that that are opening up or where people are planting grapes where they never did in the past?
3: I think definitely the answer would be yes. I'm thinking specifically of um, my interest specifically because I actually was just there. I was in England but you think about, I always get asked, like, do they make wine there? And they actually do, they make sparkling wine. And that's kind of an area that I've been interested to watch. I don't have any specifics on regions that I've necessarily seen or come across that are you know, making significant moves, but it's something that we're certainly going to be keeping an eye on because that's definitely part of this conversation.
2: Sure. Now, we talked about, obviously, we talked about Europe. We've mentioned South Africa and of course the United States. But again, we've got there's a world of wine out there. So, how, what's your feeling on what's happening down in South America, Chile, Argentina, uh, Australia? Yeah. Um, tell me about some of the Southern Hemisphere wines. What do you think?
3: Oh yeah, we have a uh, wine that we import from Mendoza. It's a Malbec. I, you've been to Argentina, haven't you, Brent?
2: we we were down in, in Chile my wife and I were okay. and that was back in yeah. 2018 and of course when we got right back on. we gave you like a laundry list of Chilean wine that we Yes. Okay. <laughs> that I, was I, like, I feel like
3: I remember yeah, us talking yeah. about this area, yeah. Um I have not been to Chile but I've been to Argentina and I think it's I'm actually just now that we're talking about this I'm, like, I'm going to bring this back to the to to the team but when I was there it's so interesting because I actually didn't taste any malbec. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> which is so much like what we're used to seeing here. You know, I went to, you know, all these different wine bars and I spent a lot of my time down in uh, the Patagonia area, but you're tasting these, you know, varieties that you just don't see here. I think about like Bonarda specifically as one of them that I just fell in love with, or even talking about Pinot, you know, that bodega chakra wine. I mean, that's being grown in Patagonia because they can grow it there because it's colder, but Argentina is a region that I get so excited about. And then I think I'm happy that we're finally importing a wine. And although it's Malbec, like looking forward to exploring what else we're able to bring back, because I do think like I don't even know if the U.S. consumer would know any other like grape varieties aside from Malbec because they export all of it. So that's definitely a region that I'm excited about. Margot went to Chile for her honeymoon. And I know like same experience, there's great varieties over over there as well that we just don't see here. And then I personally have not been to New Zealand. That's on my bucket list. But just like you, those central Otago Pinots, you know, are some of my favorites. So definitely want to explore that. And then same thing, Australia. Do you drink a lot of Riesling, Brent? I forget if you guys explore Riesling at all. I don't think... yeah, yeah.
2: We, we tend to like, the, we, we're, we're not sweet wine people, my wife and I, and uh-huh. I've had, a, I've had really dry Riesling in the past that I've thought is yeah. pretty good, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be first on my list. Every time yeah. I kind of try to expand my palate to to a Riesling, I kind of regret it. You know, yeah. it's, it's just not, it just doesn't speak to me.
3: I know. Well, I was thinking about Riesling um, out of Australia because I feel like that's, they do produce a lot of dry Rieslings. Um, and they've just become some of our favorite food wines. So thinking about like, you know, being a very food friendly wine for a variety of different cuis- cuis- cuisines, but I will say that Australia and New Zealand are probably two of the regions that we have historically had just less, less variety from. I don't have an exact reason why, but I would say that I would, I would first go to Argentina Um, and make that a priority to, to try and bring back some of those more, you know, lesser known grape varieties.
2: Sure. Sure. Now, last question I have for you is this. So I think that one of the reasons, at least that I know I I enjoy drinking wine is it takes me, it can take me back to a really incredible experience that I had. Mm -hmm. Um, so tell me what was your greatest experience or, or favorite bottle of wine that you will never forget?
3: Oh my gosh. This is one of those questions I wish you would have sent me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I told you we're, we're going to keep it, keep, keep the know. conversation going.
3: What comes to mind first? You know, I have been very fortunate with my dad's love for wine. And that's really how I was introduced to wine, right? To be able to explore his collection. And, you know, it's, I, I always laugh because when I started studying wine, like he was drinking all Napa Valley Cabernet. And then I started coming home and bringing, you know, bottles of Chablis and bottles of Merceau and, you know, even like the Bourgogne Blancs and those entry-level Burgundy wines. And it just was like a switch was flipped and he didn't touch those Napa cabs like at all. And so it's been, um, it's been a, a really fun thing for my family to go back into, you know, the wines that he has that now have been aged properly. And open them up, and so my point is that I've had a lot of really great older age Napa Valley Cabernet, and they're super fun to drink. And it's not something that I drink at all, like regular, you know, on a regular basis. I personally love old wine, and I think to your point about like how wine's all about experiences and like you know the memories that can be made over the table and who you're drinking it with and to ha- open an old bottle of wine and just see how, and just think about how much it's evolved over, you know, 20 plus years. And just the fact that some of them can still have this amazing fruit on them. And that to me is just like remarkable. And that's when I get like my wine bug back, you know, like I drink my, you know, my, my go-to wines throughout the week, but it's those moments when you're pulling the cork on an older bottle, um, birthier bottles, things like that, where it's just like, it's almost like meditative. Like you just, you're forced to just sit back and just enjoy. Um yeah. So, but specifically that's not a Napa cab, but um, he had a lot of Sasakaya too. So we've been able to enjoy some of those older. Um, I think he had one of my birth year, 92. So that's always been fun. And those just hold meaning because they're his. Yeah. And that kind of brings it full circle just to what wine is all about. You know, it's kind of, you're able to, to think back on who you've been able to share it with and think back on like, you know, when he was purchasing that wine and who he was with, and it's just been sitting there for years. So yeah. we always have a good story to tell.
2: We're waiting, waiting for the right moment to to be opened and enjoyed.
3: Yeah, yep, yeah, exactly.
2: Well, Arne, again, I can't, I can't thank you. And I think that's a, that's a great way to end our conversation because, you know, ultimately the wine is fantastic, but it's it's more about the people that you that you're drinking it with, and uh, and really appreciate you taking some time out of your afternoon and 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 speaking with me while I'm enjoying a nice glass of Chablis.
3: Thanks, Brent. Thanks for thinking of me and having me on. Really great conversation, and enjoy the rest of that bottle this afternoon.
2: <laughs> definitely will, and thanks again, Arden. See yeah.
1: ya. Arden, this has been fantastic, Brent. Thank you so much for bringing her on the show. Um, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Art and I do have a question. I, I know right now, and, and this has just got to be a really tough part of your and your team's job, but from what I understand, kind of flights and travel and things to Europe are on sale right now. So is this an opportunity <laughs> for you guys to go explore more?
3: Yeah. So the girls, um, like Brent said at the beginning, I do most of our marketing and, and oversee our sales, but Margot, my co founder, and um, Lexi, who helped us launch, it's Omelier Imports. That's the import arm of our company. Uh, They usually take about at least two trips a year, and it's mostly to trade shows. So, you know, there's Vin Italy, that's usually out of Verona, Provine, and Germany. And then they'll go and kind of tag on vineyard and producer visits on those trips. And they're typically in like uh, the springtime. So I'm sure that, that they'll be looking. For, uh you know time to schedule those for next year but maybe we'll take some personal trips over to my country too <laughs> there you
2: go. and before we end this actually I'm sitting here my wife who has never joined me for recording a podcast has has come in today and she's the one that brought the bottle of wine with her uh, <laughs> and she actually asked to to say something I, I don't know what because she's just pantomiming over to me so I'm gonna let her uh <laughs> let her come in.
4: Hi Arden it's Paige. Hi, Paige. <laughs> so good to talk to you. So I decided to share that I have the honor of serving as chair of the department of development for Mayo Clinic and Arden's father was my absolute favorite 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 benefactor that I've ever worked with. And I remember the first time I sat down with your parents and I was asking them about their children and um they mentioned your brother and they mentioned you and and that your name is Arden. And I was like, that is such a beautiful name. And I thought, oh my gosh, if I ever have a daughter, I'm going to name her Arden. (laughs) And what do you know, 10 years later, had a daughter and her name is Arden. So for Brunt's clients that know our children and know that we have an almost two-year-old named Arden, it is in fact, because I met Arden Montgomery and, and fell in love with her name. Anyway, and we can only hope that she is as smart and happy and business savvy and funny and beautiful as you are. So thank you oh, so much Jane. for agreeing to come on here and for all the amazing wine over the years.
3: I hope your little Arden likes her name as much as I've liked it over the years.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, now she can't say Arden. She just says Ardy, but it's cute, oh, oh, really? So. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't
3: pronounce my R, So I always said Arden. <laughs> Arden, oh, that's cute. All right, well, thank you so thank much. Thank you, that was so sweet.
2: Yeah, thanks again, Arden. We, we really appreciate it and uh, and great talking to you.
3: You too, Brent. Thank you.
2: Art, and it's definitely our wish that, that our daughter becomes you know, very much like you. Now, to those that have listened to this podcast and, and everything you shared with us, how do they find you?
3: Great question. So we are all online. Argo.com, A-R-G-A-U-X.com is where you can find our products and services and all of the fun wines that we discussed today.
2: And now who is your ideal client? Who's the ideal customer that you want connecting with you?
3: I would say anyone who is open-minded and excited to discover new wines that they wouldn't otherwise be able to come across at their grocery store.
2: Wonderful. And I, I know you can absolutely provide that because we've enjoyed several of them over the years. So again, happy Friday to, to you. And uh, thank you again for spending some time with us this afternoon.
3: Thanks Brent.
1: Arden, I just echo that. Thank you so much for your time, Brent. Thank you for facilitating this And of course, our last thank you goes to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Smart Money Simplified podcast with Brent Mikosh. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Brent comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review as this does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at MP Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Money Simplified Podcast. Have any questions about topics covered during the show? Visit www.smartmoneysimplified.com or give us a call at 602 255 Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your individual situation. Securities are offered through Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated, Member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors Incorporated, MP Advisors, LLC, is not a broker dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services.